just chatting with Charmaine Altrincham this morning via messaging. She was, uh, she was unable to sleep on that side. And I just thought it would be good for us to pray for her. Some of you will know who that is. Others I'll, I'll mention. But Mike and Charmaine planted this church. And in a complete unexpected moment um, in January, Mike suffered a brain hemorrhage and passed away suddenly, unexpectedly, and in some ways shockingly. The great joy we have is we know where he is. And um, he was not sad. But obviously those that are left behind are deeply impacted by that. And one of them is his wife, Charmaine who's uh, been married to him for decades, obviously. Um, her li- Mike's always been in ministry, and she's been alongside him in that. But she was unequipped to face real life. She's never worked before in a, um, other than when she was really young many, many years ago, although she isn't really young still, just in case you're listening to the recording. Charmaine, you're still young. Um, but she's taking it straight, obviously. And so I thought, why don't we pray for her this morning? She's a part of his family. She's going to be back in Dubai for a short time um, in April. Um, just to settle up the affairs here, and then I'm trusting to be able to get into Australia where her one son is and, and lives there. And so why don't we just pray? If you don't mind, let's stand because, I don't know, some of us, I just don't think our bums are a good place to be seated when we're praying. Father, I want to thank you this morning for your great uh, work in our lives, including the life of Charmaine. And I pray, Heavenly Father, now that you would comfort her even as uh, I trust she is sleeping now, Lord, but if she's still battling to sleep, that you would comfort her as uh, you bring her into a refreshing sleep tonight. I thank you, Lord, that you are going ahead of her. You are making plans. And she can't always see what it is that you're doing at every moment, but you are always doing. That you love her more than we ever could, more than Mike ever could. You are a greater protector, a greater provider, um, a greater peace in her life than any human being could be. And we pray that you'd be all of those things to her in this season right now, Lord. We love her. We love Warren and Travis, Mike's sons as well. We continue to honor them and pray for them, Lord God. And trust, Father, that as Mike has honored you with his whole life, that you would honor them um, uh, because of that, Lord God, in this season now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the one disadvantage of stopping worship early is that the King's Kids worship is going full tilt upstairs. And uh, I'm going to need you to just stick with me because I believe I, I really do have an important message to speak today on vindication. And um, I, I do believe it's prophetic into some of the situations that you're in. And even for those that are listening to the audio of this, um, I, I'm believing that there are, there are prophetic words being spoken through this, which is a situation you're in that God wants to do something in your lives. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Esther chapter 4. I'm going to read from just the first three verses. Thanks, Aaron. Okay. I've made you lazy, hey, because I put the, the scriptures up on the screen. I've made you lazy. Okay. Bring your, yeah, anyway. Okay, Esther 4, verse 1, 2, 3. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, and remember the context of the story, if, you, if you've been with us through this, that this enemy, Haman, has uh, issued this death order that's gone out into all the provinces, and that on a certain day, a couple of months from now, there's going to be this, this killing spree. So when Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes. I was going to do that this morning, but I decided to preach with no shirt on would be tough. Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. And he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. 
and in every province, wherever the king's commanding, his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now, one of the difficulties we face when we read Scripture is that we, we smooth it out. So the, the negative parts of people's characters, we kind of lower that down a little bit or lift it up maybe. So when we read about David committing adultery, it's kind of like a different kind of adultery because he was a man after God's own heart. Or we, we read about Peter cutting a man's ear off. We kind of we temper that a little. It's not, it's not that bad, you know. And, um, and even the good characters of, of people, we, we temper them as well. We, we smooth things off. And we do that with context as well. And we think about this context here. What we've got is, is there's, a, there's a, a genocide about to take place. I don't know if any of you watch horror movies. Does anybody watch horror movies? Don't. What are you doing? Why? Vernon. That was a trick question. Yeah. Anyway, there was this horror movie a little while ago that I didn't see because I don't watch horror movies. Um, and it's called um, The Purge. There's actually a picture of it in a moment. You'll see it. And... Um, I, saw, I didn't see it. I did see the trailer, and I remember thinking when I saw the trailer, man, I don't want to watch this movie. Apparently, the, the, kind of, the plot line was this. There's a day or a week or something like that. I don't know how long it was, that you were allowed to kill anybody you want to kill. You can kill your neighbor. I don't know if you can take their stuff, but you can, you, just like, it's a way of cleaning up the neighborhood. So if the neighborhood's got a little bit cluttered and there's a few people that you don't like, that's your day. You just go out and kill them. I remember thinking, but thinking, that is the perfect plot line for a horror movie, because I think horror movies are idiotic, and so, sorry, Vernon, so, uh, <laughs> so I'm thinking to myself, but that's actually what's going on here, this order has been sent out, why are you guys not following me on my slides, though? you can stay there, let's go back to that slide, there we go, this order's been sent out, that, that they're going to annihilate, kill and destroy all Jews, young and old, women and children, and, uh, and, and you think to yourself, like, if you were a Jew in that time, that context, how would you react to that? Is, is actually, is the tearing of the clothes and the mourning and the weeping, is that even enough in terms of what they're facing? And the first point that I want to make is that there's this, one of the things that we face in our lives is this thing, this thing of humiliation. And uh, that's what, that's what um, uh, Mordecai was doing. He, he tears his clothes. His, I mean, uh, we, we know what it means to, be, to get up in the morning and put on clothes that we like the look of and look in the mirror and go, yeah, I look pretty good today. I'm confident to go out. I, I think, I mean, look how snazzy um, um, Sajid is looking this morning with his fancy shirt on. He's power dressing because he's, he's on a bass guitar today. He's just, I mean, like, like when you put the back there, it's going to look, it's going to look really cool. And you feel a bit better about yourself when you, when you dress well. Am I right, Sajid? Um, the other thing that he does is he puts on sackcloth and he, and, he, and he puts ashes on himself. It's uncomfortable, the clothing that he's wearing. That he's, he's not cleaned himself. Linda sometimes has to kind of scan my face after I've eaten because I eat a little bit dangerously. And she'll say, there's fruit here and a bit of fruit here and a bit of fruit here. Just to make sure that I don't walk out with all the stuff on my face or a piece of spinach stuck in my teeth. And it's, it's like to be clean and to have your, your cologne on or whatever it is that you wear, man perfume or woman perfume, and you smell good and you walk out. You feel good about yourself. And instead of that, you're putting ashes on yourself. You're not cleaning yourself. You've got the morning gunk still in your eyes. You, you just... You are humiliating yourself, is what you're doing. You are humbling yourself. Then it says that they were fasting. We, we, we're not eating the food that nourishes us. And when you finish a, a, a good meal, a healthy meal, you feel good and strong after. But instead, you've got the hunger pains going. You, you're feeling a little bit weaker than you're not before. You, what, what is, what's going on 
is Mordecai saying, I'm not going to depend upon my own strength. The, the, the Jews are saying, I'm not going to depend upon my own strength. I cannot save myself in this situation. All the, the power dressing in the world is not going to do it. All the sense of making sure the outside is good is not going to do it. I have to turn to God. And in Joel chapter 2, Joel, uh, uh, the prophet is actually rebuking Israel, but he, he gives us a bit of insight into actually what has taken place when they fast and uh, tear their clothes and those sorts of things. And in verse 12, um, it says this in Joel 2, Turn to me now while there's still time. Give me your heart. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your heart instead. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. Listen to this, though. He is eager to relent and not to anger. Who knows? Perhaps He will give you reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of a curse. And the same principle is at work here with Israel as they were crying out to God with, with, um, with the Jews. Their, their response was to turn to God, to say, actually, th- th- this is not going to save me. The, the, this is not going to save me. Only God, only you can save me. And the situation can humiliate us. The, the, but we, what God calls us to do, He wants us to humble ourselves and come before Him. Because God says He gives strength to those that are humble. And the externals don't matter, obviously. It's not about actually tearing our clothes. So if you're in a tough situation, I'm not telling you to go find the sackcloth that you've got in the garage and make yourself a blouse out of it or anything like that. I'm not telling you to tear your clothes or go to your, your Weber and grab the ashes and pour it on your head. It's a little bit like, like worship. There's a song that Tim Hughes sang some time ago that I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. And it's not about the, 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 the ability on the guitar Obviously, that helps. It's not about how good the person's voice is that's leading us. It's not about the atmosphere in the room, the smoke machines or the lights or any of those things. He says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about Jesus. And a little while, we're going to come back to that place about the heart of worship. And it's about that. We, we just we turn ourselves off from every other distraction. When we worship God, we are, and this is just a detour here at the moment, we are priests ministering at the altar of God. Worship is not a passive thing. Worship is not something we spectate on, like we judge worship by how well the guys up front have done. We judge our worship by the degree to which we come tearing our hearts. Rend your, the, the, the Lewis Lee says, rend your heart. I like that, that word because it almost seems like bring your hearts to God, offer them to God. That's what we do in worship. We come and say, God, we want to bring our hearts to you. We're, de- we're depending upon you and you alone. And Mordecai and his people were tearing their hearts. They were turning to God at this time. They're in stiff competition. They are in, in a whole heap of a mess, and they're turning to God at this stage. And what we see in the story is how God always works, listen to this, to deliver the people that trust in His name. God always works to deliver those that trust in His name, and humiliation is always guaranteed to follow by vindication. If we will humble ourselves in the right time, Peter tells us, he will lift us up with his mighty hand. And I love that word, vindication. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed that um, if you're a parent, sometimes that one of your children has a disproportionately high sense of justice. And, and you might be like that as well. You hate it when things are unfair. I'm a little bit like that, I've got to admit. 
maybe I applied more to myself than other people. Like I hate it when I'm treated unfairly. But Hannah's like that as well. So Hannah is like she'll take on anybody if Hannah's my daughter. Um, if if somebody in the family treats that person unfairly. So if I treat Linda unfairly, Hannah will go at me and defend Linda. Or Linda defend, does it to me or I do it to Ethan. Hannah's there fighting for justice. And when you are like that, when you feel like injustice has been done and you've not been fairly treated or you've been misunderstood or falsely accused, it, it's almost there like something in your, your soul is tearing. It's like something's going to come out. We, we crave vindication and things like that. And one of the reasons is because we are created in the image of God. And God is not a God who likes justice. It's not like God says, you know what, it would be a good thing is for there to be justice. God is just. In the same way that we say God is love, God is holy. These are fundamental to the character of God. These are the eternal characteristics of God. Justice works in exactly the same way. God is just. And if we are created in His image, something in us craves for justice to be done. So vindication happens when our unseen, this is really important, vindication happens when our unseen or mocked trust in God is brought out into the open and shown to be the perfect face that it is. So imagine telling your atheist friends in some difficult situation or even your nominal Christian friends or whatever, I'm, I'm in this really bad situation, but I trust in God. And they mock you for your trust in God. Vindication is when God comes through for you and they go, and, and they have to admit, I admit that God has done this thing for me. You've been vindicated. Vindication is also when justice prevails and the wicked are humiliated and thrown down and the righteous are lifted up before the Lord. And Mordecai trusted in God. He had tried to live his life the right way. Like uh, there's usually a time he comes across in this account as a righteous man before the Lord, as righteous as a man can be, and still calamity strikes. This wasn't right. And now, even as he faced this perjury, this great test, his choice was to trust in God. And he makes this emphatic declaration in Esther chapter 4 and verse 14, when he's actually speaking to Esther about going to um, Xerxes to intercede on, on uh, the Jewish people's behalf. He says this, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews. Relief and deliverance not may arise. I'm sure it will happen. It probably will happen. It will rise for the Jews. And he makes this declaration. The thing is, though, there's often a delay between our humiliation. Here's Mordecai, torn clothes, dust on his head. Uh, Esther's actually embarrassed for him. She sends one of her servants down with clothing for him and, 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 and balms to clean his face. And she's like, Dude, you look like a mess. You look like a, like a, like a, a vagabond, like a, like a street person. You have some clothes, put them on. And Mordecai says, I'm not going to wear those things. I'm humiliating myself until I see my vindication. And there's often a delay between the humiliation that takes place and the vindication that God brings. And that's why we ask questions like this. Why do bad things happen to good people? We, we, we say things like this, where are you, Lord? Oh, David, in one psalm, says, God, are you, are you sleeping? What's going on? Where are you? I'm, I'm trusting in you, but I'm not, seeing, I'm not seeing vindication. I'm not seeing my faith in you answered. I'm not seeing justice come. I'm not seeing uh, my, my trust rewarded. And there were others besides Mordecai in Scripture that trusted God in the same way. If you think about Joseph, he becomes this man of integrity and this 
this woman, um, Potiphar's wife, throws herself at him, um, and she says, um, "Come and have, come, come have sex with me." And it's, I think, if you read the account and you understand that he was probably a virgin, he's never had sex before. This must have been a great temptation that he resists it more than he runs out of the room. And what does he get for his trust in God in that instance and following God's way? He gets thrown in prison. He gets falsely accused of rape and thrown in prison. Daniel obeys the law of God, which is to pray a certain number of times a day. He says, I don't care about the laws. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to pray. And what does he get for his effort? He gets thrown into a pit with a bunch of hungry lions who are probably going to tear him to pieces. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, I'm not going to worship a false god. There's no way that I'm going to worship at that altar. I'm trusting in God and God alone. I'll only worship him. And their reward, they get thrown into the furnace to be burned to death. But because they remain in the position of faith, because they trusted God, they were delivered. Joseph goes on from the prison to become the prime minister. Daniel is delivered not only from the mouth of the lions, but he's actually promoted and his enemies are uh, are thrown into the lions. The three Hebrew men are miraculously healed in the fire and, and subsequently honored to the point where the king actually says that everybody needs to worship the God that they worship. And we see this in Scripture also. One of my favorite scriptures from, the, from this book is um, Esther 6 and verse 11. And I told you this about this the other day when I, I preached at the beginning of the series. Haman, he hated Mordecai. He was a sworn enemy. He was just determined to destroy him. And he was the, the, the author of this order against all the Jews. God turns the event so um, in, in his providence. He turns things around so much so that Haman is humiliated and Mordecai is lifted up. And it's a foretaste of the vindication that's going to come. And it says in verse 11, So Haman took the robe and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai. So now he was still in Esther's clothes. This is the order of the king. He takes that off. He takes off the sackcloth. He takes off the ashes. He gets washed. He gets dressed by his enemies, his worst enemies. Think about this, folks. His enemy, his sworn enemy is the one that dresses him. He puts him upon the king's horse, and he leads him around the city, shouting out as he goes. I'm, I'm making up scripture right now. You can read it behind me. Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights in honor. And um, what is being played out here, in the full view of men, is a picture of what takes place in spiritual life. That's, that's the thing about Esther. Is we're, seeing the, we're seeing the play, but we, it's like we've got the script in front of us, and we know what's actually going on behind the scenes that those who trust in the Lord will be honored. And our enemy, in this case, Haman, is a, is a type of Satan in the story, will be utterly humiliated and destroyed. In uh, Esther 7, verse 10, we read this. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, and then the wrath of the king abated. Friends, that is a powerful, powerful scripture. And we need to interpret that through the, through the, the spiritual implications of that through the cross of Christ. Christ was also put upon a gallows, so to speak. The wooden cross and the wooden gallows are a picture of the same thing. It's, an, it's a, a means of execution. It was, a, it was a way, the reason Haman had built it was to humiliate Mordecai, to be hung from a tree and to be cursed. He, I think he understood that was the Jewish law and he intended to hang him from this wooden structure so that he would be cursed. Like, uh, like those false religions that believe if you don't do this or that with your body, you're not going to be able to enter into eternity. It was that kind of idea in place. And Christ was put upon the tree, and he became our curse. And uh, the enemy's plan seemed to have worked. You can imagine the, the demons 
rubbing their hands together and cackling about the victory that they've won. And maybe there's demons that are rubbing their hands together and cackling about the victory that they've won in your life and the things that are going on in your life. But Christ was vindicated. He was raised from the dead. His obedience, his trust, and his love overcame the enemy. And in the end, Satan was the one that was utterly humiliated. The same way that Haman ended up being hung, hanged on the, on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. The enemy, the cross, becomes the thing that is most, it becomes the means by which he is destroyed. And in Colossians 2 verse 15, it says this, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And the picture here is of a king that's gone out for battle and uh, he's, 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 he's conquered the, the enemy and he captured the, oppo- the opposing king. And what they would do is they'd put a, a ring through the nose of the king like this and they'd put a chain to it. And they would drag him through the city behind the king's carriage like this. And so the, the conquering king would ride like with a, with a laurel, the wreath upon his head, the, the victor's wreath like this as he rode into town with the defeated enemy king with a, with a ring in his nose being dragged in behind. They're making a public spectacle of it. And friends, that's what Christ did to the enemy upon the cross. That's what God did to Haman by having him hung upon the gallows. One of the, the stories that I love is um, by a guy by the name of Vitel, Tony Campola tells it. Um, uh, have you, any of you heard of Tony Campola before? He tells an amazing story. He's gone a little bit um, off the rails of late. He's, he's, he's drifted into universalism, which says that everybody will be saved no matter whether they believe in Christ or not, which is obviously not true. But I love this story, and so and I have to share it in because he's, he's told it. So he's, uh, he's part of a, a church, an African-American church, and unlike you guys, they, it's a very noisy church. And so while somebody's preaching, people are shouting out, oh, preach it, brother, hallelujah. And I just want to give you permission to go for that, okay? And um, so he gets up to preach, and it's one of those meetings where they've got like four people preaching in a row. How good would that be? Hey? We'll be there one of these days. And obviously, I can't be one of them because I preach for too long. So, um, so he starts preaching, and, and, and he's preaching, he's getting the hallelujahs and preaching for others, and he feels like he's really killed it, and, and he gets down, he sits down next to the guy next to him, and he gives him a bit of a look like, try and, try and better that one. That was it. And he says, this, this guy gets up, and he just says two sentences. And he says, by the end of this guy's preach, he just says these two sentences over and over again. By the end of the preach, the people are standing to their feet, and they, they're giving glory to God, and they're honoring him. And his two lines were this. It's Friday. The Sunday is upcoming. It's Friday and you're in the pit. It's Friday and you're stuck in the dark. It's Friday and your enemy is laughing at you. But Sundays are coming. It's Friday and you feel like you're defeated. It's Friday and you're sick. It's Friday and you're poor. But Sundays are coming. And as he went on like this, the, the congregation just began to shout out and declare the glory of God. And that's the point of the story. It's Friday. I was a little bit reversed because it is Friday, really, say. Sunday's work. It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. Friends, you need to get that American drawl, and you need to learn how to say that to yourself. Why don't we try it right now? It's Friday, but Sundays are coming. It's coming. <laughs> uh, you know when I get worried is when somebody shouts out, help him, Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 11, which is this great chapter of faith, tells about the breakthroughs that these, these men and women of faith received. And it starts in verse 33 by saying this, By faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God promised them. 
Isn't that beautiful? You say amen to that, eh? They shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle, put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. But Hebrews doesn't stop there. And halfway to verse 35, there's a, from the story of these breakthroughs that have come for those that have trusted, he talks about others. But others, but others, he's cautious, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were shored and harpened. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Listen to this. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. What about Jesus, the, 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 the man without sin, the man who, who's, uh, who's the purest of all that least deserved to go to the cross? He was the one that was whipped and beaten and mocked and spat upon and received no vindication before his death. He died upon the cross. In 1 Peter 2, 23, one of my favorite scriptures, it says this about Jesus. When they hurled the insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered... He made no threats. How many of us can say that? I mean, I battle to say that. When they hurled insults at you, did you not retaliate? When they, they made you suffer, did you not make threats? And then this is the, the line that I have memorized and say over and over again in my faith. He said he entrusted himself to him who judged him justly. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judged him justly. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In this life, we will face hurts, we will be overlooked, we will be cast aside, we will be misjudged, we will be slandered. And when we face unjust treatment, when people believe things about us and our motives that are not true, what do we do? Do we give up? Do we throw a tantrum kicking things and, and hurting the people around us? Do we fight back? Do we kick and scream until, until we get our way? Or do we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly, waiting for our vindication in this life, friends, or, or in the life to come? Like those men of Hebrews 11 from verse 35, halfway through 35 others, but the others. See, they trusted God their whole life, but they didn't receive their vindication in this life. And the writer of Hebrews writes this to tell us they were, they were, they were actually great men and women of faith. But, we, but for those of us that don't receive the vindication in this life, we will receive it in the next. Esther 8, verse 15 to 16. It's, it's just this beautiful, marvelous text. And it points to what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8. And in, in, in um, verse 30, Paul says, those that are justified, he also sanctified. And those he sanctified, he, he is also glorified justified. Our sins are no longer counted against us. Sanctified. We are made more like Christ until we, we get to heaven one day and we are glorified. And that, this word vindication and the word glorification fit together. They, they, they're part of the same thing. And it says this in, in Esther 8 verse 15 and 16. 
Listen to this. This is after the enemies had been slain, after all the enemies of the Jews had been destroyed. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. I love this word. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Now there's so much symbolism in that in those couple of verses. The, the color of purple meaning royalty, the color of, of um, blue meaning authority and the Holy Spirit, and the, the, the gold crown which speaks about the crown of life and the crown of righteousness that God has for us. There's so much in there. I don't even have time to get into that because God is promising for those that will trust Him in this life where we don't see the vindication here, there are rewards coming your way. When I grew up, my mom and dad had, a, had a quite a tough marriage. Um, that, that was the reality. I, I saw them quite often. Um, there were at least, um, there were a number of occasions, caused by about death, where we were sentenced to my aunt, where my mom and dad were going to figure out whether they were going to get divorced or not. It didn't even seem that abnormal to us. It was just the reality of two people that, that battled to get on with each other. And if I had to put the blame somewhere, I'd probably put it with my dad, whom I love and I honor, but I have to be honest, it often is um, the men who are called to lead anyway. And um, even when I was a young man in my early 30s, I can remember having to go and sit with my father and counsel him and rebuke him um, in his, about his marriage and, and counsel him back into wholeness again in terms of their marriage relationship. And in many ways, I, would, I, could, I could have understood, I suppose, if my mom had said, actually, I've, I've had enough, I'm leaving this marriage now. And in some ways, she might have had an easier life if she, if she gave up on the marriage. I'm, I'm not saying she would have. I'm not saying she should have. I definitely am not saying that. I think she had chosen the right sort of marriage. What my mom decided was that God will vindicate me. I, I don't need the vindication in this life. God will vindicate me. And she has loved and honored my dad up until today. They've been married more than 50 years now. It's my dad's second marriage, and they've been married more than 50 years. I spoke to my man, um, my man, he is my man. Is, I spoke to my dad last night. He's had three stents in his heart. He's had a massive aneurysm. He's got diabetes and he's got Alzheimer's. And I said to him, Dad, how are you doing? He says, I can only thank God for my health. <laughs> he says, if I don't have God, I've got nothing. See, see and, and part of the reason why my dad can say that is because my mom has continued to love upon him, has continued to honor him. And whatever she loses in this life, because she chooses to honor and trust God, she will be vindicated in the life to come, and there will be heavenly rewards that come your way. And friends, for us who live the life that God's called us to live, there are heavenly rewards for us. And you might think, well, Rob, it's tacky to talk about heavenly rewards because, I mean, we've got eternal life, and we've got, we've got a face-to-face relationship with God the Father. Who cares about rewards? Well, I'll tell you who cares about them, Jesus. And he tells us that we should care about them. Paul and the other writers of the gospel tell us again and again to care about the rewards that are coming our way. And there won't be jealousy in heaven, and don't worry about those things and competitiveness. I won't get to Calais' house and go, holy moly, this is not right. How come Calais got that house, and I've got this 25-bedroom this, um, mansion, and she's got a 28-bedroom mansion? Well, at least I'm better than Matt, who's got a three-bedroom mansion. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there won't be that kind of competitiveness in place. But there is rewards in heaven. And uh, at the very, 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 very least, it's this. It says in Revelation that the elders cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. At the very least, our rewards is this, that we don't arrive in heaven empty-handed. We don't look back on the one life that God gave us to live, and we could have served you more, Lord. And I suppose in one sense, we can always say that. 
that, that we don't say, I should have said something. I should have, I should have loved more. I should have gone after you more. I want to read you three scriptures and then land this. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 12 to 15 says this. And this is speaking to you and your life and how you build your life. Anyone who builds on that foundation of Christ may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. I'm talking to Christians here. If your work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. We'll make it to heaven because making it to heaven is the work of Christ. That's, that's his work to get us there. But do we get there like everything burnt of us with, 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 with our life's work, everything we've poured ourselves into burnt away and consumed because there's nothing there? Or do we get, with our, get there with hands full of gold and silver and precious stones that we bring as an offering before the Lord? And it will mean something to us. If, if we get to heaven one day and Chantal has this incredible reward from the Lord, there, there will be no jealousy or loss or lack of love. I'll actually be so grateful to God that she's got what she deserves. I won't regret it. I'll be grateful, but she will have a greater reward than I will have. And, 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 and God wants us to care about those things. Revelation 22 verse 12 says, Look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. My point, friends, I'm making is this. If in this life we can become frustrated because we don't see our vindication when we want it or at all. My, this life is short. Think about what 70 or if, you, if God's kind to you, maybe you get 90 years, what that is in the life of eternity. And sometimes God calls us to endure things. Sometimes he calls us to lay down our lives that he might be glorified in the midst of it. And I want to tell you, friends, whatever you do, whether any man sees it or doesn't see it, you will be vindicated. You might be humiliated now, but you will be vindicated. You might be cast down now, but you will be vindicated. It might feel like it's Friday now, but Sunday is a coming. When um, John Piper speaks about this judgment seat of Christ that we stand before one day, he, um, he describes it in such a beautiful way that takes away any sense of condemnation. Because the point here is rewards, not condemnation. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And when we stand before him one day, this is how he describes it. And I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to land with this, but the worship team can come up. He says, picture it like this. God has a file on every person. All you've ever done or said is recorded in there with a grade from A to F. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, which I've read about, to be judged for what you've done in this life, God will open up the file and lay out the tests in their grades. He will pull out the Fs. Hmm, I put them in a pile. I don't put them there. And, um, and then he will take all the Ds and Cs, and he will pull the good parts of his test out and place them with the As and put the bads with the Fs. Then he will take out all the Bs and the As and pull the bad parts out of them and put them in the F pile and put all the good parts in the A pile. And then he will open up another book, the book of life, and he will find your name. Because you are in Christ through faith, behind your name will be a wood stick match made from the cross of Jesus. He will take the match and he will light it. And he will set the F pile with all your failures 
and all your deficiencies on fire and burn them up. They will not condemn you and they will not reward you. If we live our lives with a lack of touch, with a lack of endurance, with a lack of hope, with a lack of faith, with a lack of love, with a lack of peace, with a lack of joy, with a lack of kindness, with a lack of gentleness, we are going to be, we rightly estimate them. They won't condemn you, friends, for in Christ there is no condemnation, but they won't reward you either. And then he will take from your, from your book of life a far sealed, uh, a sealed envelope marked C and grace as bonus, eternal life, and put it on the A pile. And then he will hold up the entire pile and declare, by this your life bears witness to the grace of my Father, the word of my blood and the fruit of my spirit. These bear witness to your life, that your life is eternal, and according to these you will have your reward. Enter into the everlasting joy of your Master. And this is what God is saying, that a life lived well for Him matters. That, that the times when you think it doesn't matter, nobody sees, nobody cares, both in the negative and the positive, He sees and He cares. Trusted God, and you've trusted Him, and you've trusted Him. When you feel like I'm the sackcloth and ashes, Lord, I'm in the pits, I'm in the fire, I'm about to be thrown to the lions, and it's not right, and, and I want to give up on you, God, and I want to give up on my wife, and I want to give up on my husband, and I want to give up on my children, and I, and I want to give up on, on my integrity and my finances, and I want to give up on this, and I want to give up on that. Remember that you will be vindicated for the trust that you put in God. Humiliated is always in the kingdom of God, followed by vindication. My friends, whatever you are facing, if you trust in God, He's going to dress you in robes of fine linen, perfect, with, with royal robes of blue and white, and with a, with, a, with a great crown of righteousness. Won't you stand with me, please?